welcome to the Central Valley Politics Podcast, brought to you from the Student Media Center at California State University, Stanislaus, home to the Signal Student Newspaper, and 91.9 KCSS, the Valley's true alternative college radio station. You can find both online at csusignal.com or kcss.net. I'm your host, Shannon Stevens. When I'm not hosting podcasts, I'm a professor here at Stan State in the Department of Communication Studies. And whenever we have an election cycle, I teach a class in political communication, where we study history and theory, all as a means of better understanding the rhetoric that surrounds current political campaigns. This year, we wanted to reach out to a larger audience to share what we've learned about the local candidates we are going to be electing in November. In this episode, students from my political communication class will introduce us to the races for Turlock City Council and City Treasurer, our local congressional contest, and the state Senate election. Each segment is about 10 minutes long, and each gives the students a chance to share what they've learned and why it should matter to you. Remember, if you're in California, you must register to vote no later than October 24th. To register online, go to registertovote.ca.gov. Every vote counts, so get out there and make a difference. I hope you enjoy today's Central Valley Politics podcast. If you have anything you'd like us to research for you or discuss between now and November 8th, please tweet the signal at CSU Signal or me at Shannon Stevens. That's S-H-A-N-N-O-N-S-T-E-V-E-N-S. You can also email us at stanstatepodcasts at gmail.com. Starting us off this week are Gabby Peralta and Clara Zapian with their coverage of Turlock's local elections, focusing on District 2 and 4 City Council candidates, as well as the race for City Treasurer. Let's hear what they have to say. Hi, my name is Gabby Peralta. And I'm Clara Zapian. And we are both communications majors at CSU Stanislaus. And we are currently enrolled in a political communications course with Dr. Shannon Stevens. Today we're going to be covering the Turlock Local Elections, also known as TLE, where we'll be giving your TLE a little TLC. <laughs> Today we'll be covering the local city council member elections for districts 2 and 4, as well as the city treasurer positions. We're going to be going over the candidates in no particular order. I'd also like to mention that all the information we are going to be presenting in this program are available on the turlockjournal.com and then City of Turlock. So to start off, um, the city council members, according to the city of Turlock, being a city council member means having the responsibility of overseeing the scope, direction, and financing of city services, as well as establishing local law and policy. So we're going to be starting off with District 2. District 2 will be representing residents west of Golden State Boulevard and south of Fulkerth Road. Not to interrupt you there, Gabby, but I'd like to mention that this is the first time that Turlock is actually divided into four. And what does that mean for our local elections? Okay, that means that the four districts are actually going to be able to give smaller little sections in Turlock a bigger voice. I also think it might mean it might be easier for minority candidates to run in these elections. Oh, that's very true. Anyways, continue. <laughs> so our first candidate, once again, in no particular order, is Gil Esker. He was quoted saying, the West Side can finally have a voice. Gil believes that elections are won by asking people for their vote face-to-face, -face, and he wants to improve the streets, sidewalks, and West Side. From his Facebook page, Gil says that over $90 million has not been put into the local streets and sidewalks on the west side. And he also is wanting to replace the street lights with new LEDs to consume less energy, and he wants to focus on keeping fire and police departments fully staffed and equipped. 
so that it's safe for everyone, especially children. He also wants to revitalize the current neighborhoods on the west side before expanding beyond the freeway, and he voiced approval for a new recreation center on the west side of Turlock. Okay, so it sounds like this candidate is a very into environmental kind of changes. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, and also just um, very obviously local, but literally ground changing in Turlock. Yeah, very much so. And the contender for that contendant, contendant, <laughs> I'm making it sound like it's a boxing match or something. <laughs> well, I guess it could be seen that in a way politically, right, Gabby? Yeah, right. All right. So that person going against him is named Jaime Franco, and his origin is um, coming from a migrant farmer family, and he's been here for over 40 years, so he definitely knows what he's talking about, at least about being a local here in Turlock. And um, we do know that he attended California State University, Stanislaus, and got his political science degree. And the reason he said he's running is because he thinks that there is an underrepresentation of the southwest side of Turlock, which I kind of believe in a way, but yeah, we'll, have to, we'll have to wait and see what else he has to say about that. Um, he definitely has something that a larger candidate for our national election um, is running Hillary Clinton. She has a public servant kind of stance, and I believe that not only does Jaime have it, but all of them that are running in this election in a way. Would you agree, Gabby? Yeah, I would agree. Yes. So, he has also volunteered in um, the community, mostly, I would say, in the Catholic community as well as the Hispanic. He's been known to be a part of the migrant program, the migrant education program. So he volunteers there. And he was even a president of the Latino Roundtable wow. of Stanislaus County. So he definitely has a fair share of uh, public servantness yeah. under his belt. And he seems to be representing a lot of the larger larger demographics here. Yeah, the minorities. Yeah. The Hispanic minority, which I think will definitely have a strong voice in this election. If they decide to go vote, November 8th <laughs> is the day. You have to go sign up before then. All right, and now that we're done covering District 2, we're going to move over to District 4, which covers pretty much the north part of Turlock. Go ahead, take it away, Gabby. So we're going to be covering Stephen Nascimento. He was elected to the Turlock City Council in 2012, and he has been campaigning for finance reform, fiscal discipline, and public safety. He, too, was a graduate of CSU Stanislaus and Turlock High, so he has been in Turlock his entire life. He um, also wants to maintain Turlock's current growth boundaries and wants to promote infill development. He is a son of Portuguese immigrants, which is another large demographic yes, in Turlock, sure. and he has lived in his current house for 13 years, unlike some of the other candidates that are running against him. Yes, that other candidate is none other than Amy Bublock. I hope I'm saying her name right, but I have the whole... Um, what would we say? <laughs> the new um, substitute teacher syndrome. I don't know if I'm <laughs> saying the name right, but we're going to find out later. Hopefully there will be videos yeah, that will be coming, coming out because up. there are none recently. We wanted to do some nice sound bites for you, but there's nothing out there because we <laughs> checked. So don't think we did a try. But anyways, back to Amy. We'd like to say that she just bought a house recently in District 4. So I feel like that may be a way of her actually knowing who she would represent if she would win. Yeah, but I also think it's kind of an unfair advantage that she's just moving somewhere so she can run I in know, these elections. That is, that is true. I didn't think about that. What, that's great insight, Gabby. <laughs> and I also like to say that she has her fair share of being a public servant as well. She has a lot of degrees under her belt, starting with her MA in 
Public Administration and Urban Government. And then she also has her BA in so Sociology? Help me out here. So Sociology? Yes, thank you. Sociology. It's funny that a communication major can't say that word. <laughs> and criminal justice, which makes sense that later on she would actually become a police officer. She's a retired wow. police officer, which I think is interesting. Another public servant. Yes, I feel like she has more insight when it comes to crime here. Mm. I don't know if she's made that a platform of hers, but I feel I like that, so, that could be a good advantage. Yeah. yeah, And then she's also part of the Turlock Planning Commission, so wow. it looks like she's also involved in trying to change the community. Good for her. Yeah. Much like our candidate, Donald Baba Delir, he is also running for District 4 City Council. He's lived in Turlock for 15 years, and he believes his primary duties as a council member would be taking others' ideas and suggestions into consideration, setting local policy, and passing laws. His top priorities are economic development, preventing intellectual leakage, because he is also a graduate of CSU Stanislaus, so he wants to keep some of us graduates here to help out in the community, and he also wants to alleviate or solve the current water crisis. He also is thinks that homelessness is another issue that he wants to combat, which is what something that our other candidates haven't really brought up yet. And I think that may be a great topic to bring I up agree. because homelessness is a big issue here in Turlock. I don't know if you've ever been downtown, Gabby, during oh, the weekends, and you're having a great time. You come out of a restaurant, and then you see some homeless person. You it's know, it's very sad. It's very sad. It kind of brings a new perspective to your life it and does. makes you think about things. So I think that candidate may have something there, with that little tidbit of information. And now we're going to move on to the city treasurer. So the city treasurer pretty much just handles the financial stuff. So you'll definitely be seeing whoever wins this position <laughs> in your local bank. So that first candidate is Alex Paul Keel. He worked as a bookkeeper slash accountant for his family business, which is located downtown. And he's been doing that for 15 years. Also a graduate of CSU Stanislaus and a Turlock native, he pledges to give 10% of his monthly stipend to various charities and nonprofits around Turlock, and he also promises not to seek more than two terms as treasurer. So that's something that his um, opponent hasn't really said and hasn't really done. Yeah, that's true. Diana, and her last name, Gabby? Lewis. Yeah. Yes, Diana Lewis. That sounds like a singer in a way, doesn't it? It does. Okay, well, Diana Lewis, she's currently our treasurer, and she has been. Guess how long, Gabby? Guess how, how long? long? I've heard it's a long time. It is a long time. 16 years. So it might be nice to have someone newer. Yes. Fresh eyes. Fresh eyes are always good, especially in current situations, you know? And I feel like also just because it is a younger person and there are graduates here, it kind of really hits home the fact that all of these um, people here that are trying to run are trying to keep it local. That's so, smart. It is. Very it's smart. very smart. Um, that's all the coverage that we have right now. Yeah, not thank you so much for listening. Thanks, Gabby and Clara. You're listening to Central Valley Politics. I'm your host, Shannon Stevens. Next up, Clayton Cummings, Amanda Carlin, and Brian Escobar not only give us a solid lesson in civics, but they offer some insights on the congressional race locally between incumbent Jeff Denham and challenger Michael Eggman. Enjoy. Welcome to the Stanislaus State's podcast. We are here for the signal. We are uh, classmates here. We're going to be talking about our state representatives. Uh, we're going to do a couple podcasts for you, and we're going to talk about the election coming up this November, and we're going to talk a little about the candidates. But to start off, let's introduce ourselves here. So who do we have with us? My name is Clayton Cummings. That's who I am. <laughs> And my name is Amanda Carlin. And I am Brian Escobar. And we're going to first start off with a little bit of Q&A about what is a state representative. So we know they're part of the legislative branch. 
Uh, they are considered the lower house. And just a little uh, Q&A. Let's start with uh, how many years are their terms? Their terms are typically two years, and they can run unlimited terms. So they could be there for... Forever. <laughs> yeah, forever. Until yeah. they decide to retire or pass away, they do not have a limit on their terms. Like a president, say, can only serve two terms in office. Uh, state representatives can have unlimited. Uh, what, what are some of the minimum requirements? If, if anyone's interested in becoming a state representative, which I highly recommend at least looking into it and getting involved in, in politics and government, like even if you're not going to be doing anything but voting, what are the minimum requirements to become a state representative? Well, you got to be 25 years of age, so you definitely have to be old enough to rent a car. Yes. I think that's just one of the first things. So that's one of those like target things, like, oh, I hit 25, so now I can run for uh, state representative. Exactly. Awesome. You have to be a citizen for at least seven years, and at the time of election, you have to be a resident of that state. So if you want to be a representative in California, you have to live in California. Not New York. Yeah. Or Hawaii. Or Hawaii. All right. Oh, Except for Hawaii. How no, many, not Hawaii. How uh, many seats are there in the House of Representatives? Unlike Senate, which only has 100 seats, we are looking at 435 representatives in the House of Representatives because it's based on population and not just the state. And out of, out of that many, how many are from California? 53. 53, and that's because of our population. Exactly. We <laughs> the are the enormous big population. You know, I, I was doing some fact-checking today, and I, I found out that... There is an exception to that rule with different states. So, for instance, there are seven states that only get one. Only one? Not, not to their population, but just one. One representative. One representative. And those states are in uh, Alaska, Delaware, Montana, North and South Dakota. My mom's from North Dakota, so i got to represent that. So don't you know. Don't you know. Yeah, little Canadian and a little North Dakotan. Uh, Vermont and Wyoming. And that was decided in 1911 when they made a law that said they were not going to go past 435 representatives. They just gave up at 435. <laughs> yeah, 435. All right, I'm out. Clock it. <laughs> Clocked it. Yeah. Um, so what, what are some of the exclusive powers that the state's, uh, state representatives are capable of doing? Well, I know three pretty important ones that only the state representatives are able to do. They um, they can impeach officials, so just no criminal activity, everybody. You know, got to watch. Don't do the crime. Yeah. <laughs> you can't so do the they, time. They, they can impeach any government official, including the president. Yes, and, correct. And they have. There have been two presidents that have been impeached. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Don't ask me who. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're not they doing. We're not talking are. about I know, the president. I know was so, one, and I think Johnson was the other. I believe. Yeah. Well. Uh, so, what what is another power of theirs? They're also able to initiate revenue bills. So, you know, if they think you're using a little bit too much money, they'll probably start withdrawing. You know, can't be going off to the golf course every weekend. What What's that called? Uh, power of the purse, right? <laughs> Yeah, money. Money. checks and balances so you can pass laws or the president does something they're like well we're not going to fund that because we don't you know that this is this whole checks and balances so what what's the third thing there is a special 
Case this one's scenario. this one's pretty important. They're actually able to elect the president if the electoral college doesn't come to a majority vote. So I mean, so it's with like a tiebreaker, essentially. yeah, like a tiebreaker. So like this time around, you know, we have Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. We may be looking at possibility of our representatives being able yeah, to yeah. elect if them it this ends time at around. Fifty-fifty, it goes to the House. Of it goes to the House. Uh, I, I found out some other things uh, besides certain states that only get one. Uh, that are districts and territories, they do get a representative, but they don't get to vote. So the District of Columbia doesn't have a say. Uh, Puerto Rico, the American Samoa, Guam, Northern uh, Mariana Islands, I hope I said that right, <laughs> and the U.S. Virgin Islands, they do get a, a representative, but they don't get a vote. So they, they can at least uh talk in congress and uh, give their opinion every give now and again and debates and stuff yeah but they, they don't get a vote in anything it's all about representation they, at yeah, the highest level never stop okay so <laughs> let's let's now uh segue into the current election coming up so who are our people representing who, who, us who are our people who are the challengers coming up to this election year we're looking at two very important guys here. We have our incumbent, Jeff Dunham. And, Jeff Dunham. And he is running for fourth term, I believe. Is yep, that correct, guys? Yeah, he's going guys? for the four-peat. All right. And then we have Michael Eggman, and he's our comeback kid. He ran against Jeff Dunham a couple years ago. It was close. And it was pretty close. How close was it, Brian? Uh, it was within, like, 10% uh, as far as the votes. It was, like, 53 to 46 or something. But. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit first about Jeff Denham. So he is a Republican. Uh, he's served us two years already as our state representative of District 10. District no, 10, Stanislaus. Yeah. No no uh, affiliation <laughs> to the Mockingjay or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my and, attempt. Yeah, good try. Uh, I met him personally. He's been here on Stanislaus State a few times already. Um, I uh, throw emails out to him every once in a while. I actually get a, a passionate about certain things that have been going on the past two years. So state representatives are great to uh, people that are there, you know, representing you and they're interested in what you have to say. So Jeff Denham, he is oh, a, a businessman. Uh, he's he's also a veteran, a veteran of the Air Force. Air Force. He yeah. also holds a chair at the House Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure. He's a chairman as well. So what are chairmans in, in the House of Representatives, for instance? What, what does that precisely entail? Well, I believe he is the the chairman for that committee. So that committee is just aimed at, you know, getting, you know, public works done. We have railroads, pipelines, and hazardous material. That's just some of the things that, you know, his committee represents. He's also part of the House Committee on Agriculture, House Committee on Natural Resources, which represents Indian insular, I think I said that, Right, and Alaska Native Affairs, uh, Water, Power, and Ocean. Oh, that's interesting. All right, and what do we know about the Democratic Party, Michael Eggman? Relatively, <laughs> not that much information <laughs> not, on not him. Not too much. Not yeah. too not much, yet, but hopefully we'll be seeing a little bit more of him come November or huh? late October. You know, he is running the second time around. Hopefully he'll be showing his face a little bit more, you know, trying to get out there and everything. Uh, we're, we're going to be watching the news and Twitter and, and looking at any uh, sort of information the that social they both media. put out and <laughs> feed that to you guys, the listeners, so you can find out more about your state representatives. We are your ears and eyes. Yeah. And we appreciate you listening to us, of course. <laughs> um, we're going to go a little bit ahead more about uh, the bills themselves, but 
besides the you know checks and balances, you both have uh, a possibility to pass a bill through the House of Representatives first, then it goes up to the Senate, and then it goes to the, from the Senate, if that passes, it goes up to uh, the president, who can sign it off or veto it. And if they do veto it, it goes back to the House. And if they get a two-thirds majority vote in both the House and the Senate, then that would actually supersede the veto, which Ooh. I thought was pretty interesting. But I mean, that whole checks and balances system, the, making sure that nobody has too much power up the there system in the is House. Circular. It's all about the checks and balances. So we want to thank you again for listening. Uh, this is Stanislaus State's The Signal. We're going to be talking more about the state rep state representatives in the next few weeks. Coming uh, at you soon. Make sure you go out and register to vote. Vote. I know Please I am. I'm voting. Now. <laughs> if you haven't, I'm, I'm going out to vote. Uh, I, I usually do a mail-in ballot because I'm, I'm lazy. Same. Same. I don't like spending my day trying to get out to the voting. I thing. think I want to stand in the line. Yeah, yeah, you want to go what? get that voter registration There's sticker, whole, right? Right. Yeah, I get my sticker too, though. It I kind of want to see. <laughs> I want to so, see who doesn't think like me. Uh, this is uh, Brian Escobar signing off, and thanks for listening. I'm Clayton Cummings, and I'm Amanda Carlin. Don't forget to go vote, guys. Thanks, Amanda, Clayton, and Brian. That was a lot of fun. You're listening to Central Valley Politics, and I'm your host, Shannon Stevens. Finally, on today's episode, Arjun Gruel, Corey Kirk, Brittany McCall, and Shannon McCall talk to us about the Senate race between Kamala Harris and Loretta Sanchez, delving into their stances on subjects like the death penalty and immigration. Give a listen. What is going on, everybody? Uh, this is a political sit-down talking about the U.S. Senate race. I'm Corey. My name is Aljun. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brittany. And we are here to bring you all the facts and a few stances on the two candidates running for the position. So, you guys, did you hear that this is the first time the position has been available since 1992? Wow. That's, that that's is crazy. With Barbara Boxer being in the position for almost 23 years, you know, frankly, since I was probably a few days old. I mean, you know, it, it's crazy to hear that you could be in a position for that long. So something like this doesn't come up too often. First, we have Kamala Harris. She currently holds the position of California's 32nd appointed attorney general. Since 2010, she became California's first woman of African-American and South Asian descent to hold the seat of attorney general in our state's history. That's pretty powerful. Yeah, I mean, you know, with all the decision making she has, it just shows the credentials that she can have to be the U.S. senator. I mean, keep in mind that this race does not have a Republican in the race, which is the first time in a very long time. And no matter what women wins, uh, it's also the second person to win the seat that wasn't from white descent which goes into our further conversation have you guys heard stuff about loretta sanchez yet no i actually don't really know anything about her well that's ironic because i have some information for you that's great i'd love to know more okay so she was a member of the house of representatives since 1997 pretty she, impressive yeah she covers mainly around the orange county area roughly okay. and um she's also a member to many committees Roughly around the subjects of armed forces and homeland security. Um, in 2016, uh, the newspaper called Congressional Quarterly named her one of the 25 most influential women in Congress. I mean, when you get something like that thrown your way, I mean, it shows that you, you, you do have the right stuff. It shows a lot of qualification. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So first, we're going to kind of just dive into some issues here. And one of the first main issues that we want to discuss today was the death penalty. Like, where do these women stand on this topic? 
And for me, I was researching into um, Kamala Harris. And for Kamala, she's in support of the death penalty. Did you guys know that? No, I did not know that. But get this. She's in support of the death penalty, but only in special cases. Does anyone understand what that even means? No. Makes you kind of wonder, like, where does she stand in special cases? What side? Yeah, so basically she's kind of just released a statement saying that in the space of special circumstances, this means that she believes that a board should get together and they should decide a person's fate, whether or not they should be executed or maybe their sentence should just be reduced. And to me that seems like a pretty logical thing, right? Don't you guys agree? Yeah, I agree. Well, um, since I'm Kamala Harris, she we don't really know for sure what her position is. Loada Sanchez, on the other hand, she um, she's absolutely against the death penalty. I don't know if you guys know that. No, I didn't. You know, she referred to the death penalty as when society undertakes to impose the ultimate sentence on its citizens, it must meet the most stringent standards of fairness and due process. Wow. I mean, with something like that, it just shows with Kamala kind of being like, eh, you don't know what side she's on. Loretta's like, "Uh uh-huh, I know what side I'm on. I ain't going to the other side. (laughs) You know, like, this is where I stand. And, you know, when it comes to Loretta's stance in immigration, though, did you know that she wants to strengthen and tighten up the borderlines, even though she is a first-generation American in her family because her parents came from a foreign country speaking little to no English. Wow. That's actually pretty surprising. Yeah, with all of that, I mean, it just, it kind of provides almost a shock, you know, when we talked about it in prior, that, you know, with somebody that came from that history to feel like they need to tighten up the borders, you know, it kind of blows you away because it's like, you know, you came from that, that, that type of, I don't know how you say it, almost background yeah you know and um for you to stand against it it just kind of blows you away almost on the other hand i mean kamala harris has a really interesting stance on immigration too um do you guys know anything about her stance no i don't yeah neither do i she is also a first generation american as well and her stance is actually that citizenship should be equal for everyone if you're here illegally if you're in the process of getting your potentially maybe your green card she believes that everyone should have the opportunities as regular everyday americans she thinks that um that changes should be made to help individuals who are illegal to speed up the process so they can become citizens even sooner she also believes that everyone should have access to public education and health and public safety, even if you're legal or not. Wow, that is just absolutely crazy, you know, and in a good way, you know. And you know what? That can be kind of a controversial stance to some people to say that even if you're an illegal citizen, that you deserve equal health care and equal rights. Like I could see a whole bunch, like a lot of Republicans, you know, really against this status. And you kind of feel you kind of feel for the conservative frame of mind because we have two Democrats here. I mean, and regardless of where you stand, um, there's going to be a lot of things that kind of turn people away due to their um, conservative viewpoints. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think that that's why maybe the conservative vote would be necessarily more lenient to, to lean towards Ms. Harris's vote because she does seem to have that stance where she's against... Actually, 
it should lean more towards Loretta because Loretta kind of stands for a tighter border. Um, also, she's 100% against the death penalty, and I could be wrong, but I believe uh, uh, Republicans are against it as well. Um, so I think it's more on Loretta than Kamala. I apologize for correcting you there, but... No, you're fine, you're fine. I was looking <laughs> at the wrong set of notes here. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a-okay, but hold on, hold on. Arjun just filled me in that he has a lot of information that both of our candidates that we're talking about today agree on. So, Arjun, why don't you fill us in, buddy? I would love to hear it. Well, thank you, Koi. So, even though both candidates, you know, they have, like, some different, you know, um, viewpoints, um... They do agree on some stuff. They both agree that, you know, people should graduate from college. Yeah. That's why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, they both want equal um, equal right for equal pay for women. Woo! Um, they should. <laughs> it's a right. They, uh, you know, they both, you know, want, you know, they want to adjust um, life, civilian life for veterans. Round of Yes. yes, I totally, I think everyone can agree with that. Yeah. The uh, next one, you know, I think everyone would like, you know, they both support the $15 minimum wage law. And you know what? For college students, I'm sure they're all, like, super excited about this. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, as we kind of weighed what each candidate feels about each stance, and we've gone through even what they feel like they had in common, we kind of laid out a couple of key issues to kind of like maybe determine whether who you feel you should vote for. So we encourage all of you to make your voice get heard out there and go out there and vote. November 8th, everyone go out and vote on November 8th. Rock the vote. Absolutely. I mean, we've all seen those commercials out there. You know, my favorite one, hands down, is the Avengers one, you know, where they say... That one's pretty hilarious. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a very liberal type commercial, but... I thought it was just super funny. You know, everybody that is listening to this, if you're not registered to vote, please go and register to vote. Um, also, make sure to remember to vote as well. November 8th. Um, we are done with our conversation here. Uh, we thank you all for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, it's been fun kind of covering and catching up and seeing what our two candidates have because with how controversial the president presidential election has been kind of puts the uh, Senator election, you know, in the back burners a little bit, which is sad because this is a really historic moment for California. This is a big issue. You know, absolutely. I mean, we got two women, you know, covering a position with somebody that has been a huge, I would say pillar in, American government in in Barbara Boxer, you know, retiring. And these both of these women are going to make history no matter what, who wins the race, to be the second person to uh, not be of white descent. And keep in mind, just because they're both Democrats doesn't mean you shouldn't vote. They have a lot of different stances on a lot of areas. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Arjun, what do you think? Well, we can't tell, but um, they're both suitable candidates. We don't know who's going to win. And we all agree on that. It could yeah. be anyone's race. Absolutely. But okay, you guys, this is Corey. This is Shannon. And this is Brittany. This is Archon. And we, again, thank you so much for listening thank to you. us. Thank you. Thank you. And have a good day, you guys. Thanks, Arjun, Corey, Brittany, and Shannon, for wrapping up this episode of Central Valley Politics. Brought to you from the Student Media Center at California State University Stanislaus, 
home to the Signal Student Newspaper and 91.9 KCSS, the Valley's true alternative college radio station. You can find both online at csusignal.com and kcss.net. We hope you found today's Central Valley Politics podcast instructive and enjoyable. Special thanks to our producer, Mariah Esparza, and our engineer, Kyle Rankin, for pulling all this together. Next time, we'll be talking with gender communication scholar, Dr. Keith Nainby, about the presidential race, and we'll have more updates from the political communication students on the Central Valley political scene. Remember, if you have anything you'd like us to research for you or discuss between now and November 8th, please tweet the signal at CSU Signal or me at Shannon Stevens. That's S-H-A-N-N-O-N-S-T-E-V-E-N-S. You can also send an email to stanstatepodcasts at gmail.com. If you'd like to read more about these candidates and where the students got their information, be sure to look at the links provided on our websites, kcss.net and csusignal.com. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check back soon for more updates from the team at Central Valley Politics. This is Shannon Stevens at Stan State, where we're doing our part to save the vote.